0: Welcome back to Inside College Admissions, a podcast presented by SCORE. My name is Robert Avosa, and I serve as the superintendent in residence for the SCORE Network. I'm very excited today to be joined by Dr. Dana Godick. Before I introduce Dr. Godick, I wanted to share a little bit about my background. I'm a lifetime teacher and principal and ended my career in public education as a superintendent. I led the 20th largest school system for five years in Fulton County, Georgia, and ended my career in public ed running Palm Beach County Schools, which was the 10th largest district in the country. And I'm super pleased to be joined today by Dr. Dana Godick. She is a policy and practice champion. She works with states, districts, and schools from across the country. Her particular area of focus is social and emotional learning, and she works mostly with CASEL, a collaborative of academic, social, and emotional learning. I'm super excited to have her here with me today to talk a little bit more about social-emotional learning and what we can do as educators to be prepared for students as they come back to school. Dr. Godick.
1: Hi, thanks, Dr. Vosa. Thanks for that kind introduction. And I appreciate that you underscored that social and emotional learning is my area of focus. Because I think it's everyone's area of focus right now as we're thinking about school reopening, thinking about budget, really taking stock of what our constituents need right now. So thanks for that great welcome.
0: It is my absolute pleasure. And as we begin thinking about schools across the country reopening face to face, and we've heard that the Biden administration is looking at an April deadline to try to get most of the schools across America open. We also know that there are schools that have been open and have been open since September of last year. So there's some good things that we can learn from those who are out ahead of us and those who are looking to open face to face for the first time. But all of this is contingent on our ability to fund schools, keep them safe and make sure that teachers and staff feel comfortable coming back. You know, a lot of money has been invested since this COVID crisis has started. Can you talk with me a little bit about funding? I know it's a major issue and a major topic for school district leaders. What are your thoughts about
1: that? Sure. Appreciate that. Good question. So there's definitely a deluge of funding and some concerns about spending it well, spending it strategically and not tactically. You know, there's some go-to responses that we could use that maybe fill a day-to-day operational need. But thinking long term and like the you know, playing to win kind of philosophy, this is an opportunity and a moment to really rethink the way that we are conducting instruction, definitely keeping kids safe both emotionally and physically. Um, and thinking through a little bit about how we're equipping our local teams through some guidance that our states are releasing. So, Very much appreciate that question. The two biggest buckets that we see most federal resources used on is on people and technology. So it's one thing to, you know, attempt to close the digital divide with technology. Definitely appreciate that and applaud that. And it's another thing to uh, think about personnel and those human capital resources and what those teams look like. So we could certainly hire a bunch more instructional coaches, maybe backfill some vacancies, but what's front and center in front of all school communities right now is our emotional health. So really thinking about what those leadership teams for social emotional learning can look like at a district level and at a schoolhouse level is an important moment for pause and reflection so that we're really amping up those teams and their skills and strengths. So they're supporting the schools and teachers.
0: I get it. And I think, again, as a former superintendent, the way I look at it is in stages. So stage one, we needed to go out and purchase equipment, PPE, and equipment, I mean technology, computers. We may have purchased software. That spending phase has come to an end. And so now the next piece is, what do we do to support people as they come back to school? My fear is, though, that I tell people, be careful about using one-time money for ongoing expenses. So if you're hiring a lot of full-time employees, will there be a funding cliff two years from now when the CARES Act money dries up? So that's just a a caution there as well uh, to my uh, school district leader friends that are listening in. I do want to continue, though, on this discussion about best practice in reopening. I know a lot of materials have been put out there by different agencies Uh, And um, I think I, again, go back to this notion that people need not reinvent the wheel. There are a lot of big foundations across the country that have invested in putting materials together for people, including, you know, you can Google this if you're listening in. Chiefs for Change has put together what's called a day in the life of protocol, and there are a ton of resources there. Just Google Chiefs for Change. It's a free resource Uh, They've been funded. They're a bipartisan educational leadership group. But Dana, talk a little bit more about this notion of best practice in reopening.
1: Yeah, thanks again for that. And very much appreciate the reference to Chiefs for Change, who also has honored social and emotional learning for school leaders, as well as school staff. And that's really consistent with other guidance that we're seeing, like coming out of the American Academy of Pediatrics, or AAP. So In tandem with the CDC, they have released some key principles, um, and that's really taking a a critical eye to school policies and making sure that they're adjusted to align with new information about the pandemic. We see district leaders and school leaders being very responsive in that state and really thinking about a multi-pronged or a layered approach to the way that they're protecting students and teachers. And what I think AAP means by that multi-pronged, layered approach is one, being in close communication with teachers and definitely with families. And we see some great examples of that, um, leveraging social media and other forms of communication, but also two, really thinking through like what kinds of supports they're going to need based on input from teachers, based on input from families. So it's really important to develop some strategies on um, keeping positivity high, right, and layering approaches that will allow for children to feel welcome, comfortable back in buildings. And we see lots of good leading examples of that for um, districts and schools that have already reopened for brick and mortar instruction. And we're starting to see some high quality examples coming out of the virtual or hybrid space. So that's really encouraging. But the key to all of that is having some policy, around support for social-emotional learning and communicate, 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 and coaching our teachers to communicate as well.
0: And, you know, you bring up a, a good point. Leadership in all cases is an important component of managing change and managing crises. People look to leaders to you know, garner whether or not they should be scared or they should be worried, right? So if the leadership, whether it's a school principal, a team leader in a a department is calm, is confident, and is assuring them that that things are going to be okay, we all feel a little bit better. So leadership's a big piece of that. And having a champion around making sure we're looking after one another and not just talking about social emotional learning, Uh, and wellness but actually living it out in our daily lives
1: absolutely thanks for pausing to reflect on the leader and i would encourage everyone listening to pause and think about themselves in this leadership moment to your point robert like high quality leadership is about bringing order to chaos and inspiring others to feel confident and calm so we have to like reflect a little bit on whether or not we're confident or calm and use some very distinct techniques to get us into that space of balance so that when we are communicating or are in front of our constituents, we are projecting um, a high level of emotional intelligence and self-awareness. If you're curious about emotional intelligence, I would encourage you to just Google Dan Goleman he is a researcher who has spent a lot of time and effort in uh, researching emotional intelligence in both the public education space and in multiple industries, and was also, by the way, a founding partner for Castle for the organization that, that I support. So just on that point, like just a quick tip as a leader and thinking about The neuroscience of leadership's emotional intelligence in this space. If you're getting in front of a group of constituents, the best quick in the moment tip I can give you is breathe. And it sounds like a little esoteric, but it's rooted in neuroscience. So there is um, something called the vagus nerve, which connects our brain to our gut. And I hear a lot of leaders say, oh, I'm operating off my gut instinct, or I'm responding to the situation. That's for real. And what is happening there is your brain is telling your stomach, something's right, something's wrong. It happens to be the longest nerve in our body, for good reason, because it really guides our gut instincts and what we're perceiving and interpreting in the environment in an implicit way. So the best way to get the vagus nerve in check is to breathe. That is a scientific fact. Five deep breaths before you get in front of a parent community, a teacher community, provide some support and just positive encouragement of students or others, just five deep breaths. Calms the system down so that you're able to project that a high level of emotional intelligence. So I'm so glad you brought that up.
0: Well, Dr. Godick, I um, brought in a free set of resources when I was superintendent in Palm Beach called Pure Edge, P-U-R-E Edge, and they've got five or six breathing techniques. Again, you can Google this, take a look at it. I used to start my principal meetings by having people do one of five breathing techniques that they teach you uh, to get them also grounded in the conversations we're about to have. So they're more prepared to have deep conversations about teaching and learning and feel confident, et cetera. And again, that's a good way for you to lead by example because people now are running from meeting to meeting, meeting to meeting and don't have an opportunity to just Reconnect in the moment and focus really 100% on the on the topic at hand. So I appreciate that. Well, we only have about five minutes left and I'd like to talk about This notion of of pivoting to, you know, personalization. We've talked about personalization for a really long time. And what that looks like continues to evolve in teaching and learning, but also have read recently a lot about ownership and this notion of autonomy. I know you and I have had conversations about agency and agentic learning. These are all things that are coming back to the forefront. The Montessori movement over a hundred years ago was all about students making choices about the things that they wanted to do and how they wanted to learn. And yet a hundred years later, we're still grappling with that. So let's pivot over to this notion of ownership and autonomy. What are your thoughts about that? What are you seeing in the field? Are people feeling more comfortable talking about this? And how does it layer into the social emotional framework that you deal with on a regular basis?
1: Yeah, thanks for that. Um, and I I want to give you a little bit of credit. We we talked a lot about bringing mindfulness practices in palm beach but the other thing that you led really strongly on in multiple places in multiple um superintendencies is this notion of personalization personalized learning we see that playing out nationally through project-based learning which unites a couple of really fascinating things right so drawing from marie montessori and those philosophical approaches also drawing from authentic assessment And that's not to disparage at all teachers' ability to gauge in the moment um, how a student is doing and what to instructionally coach to. And last but not least, this notion of student agency or agentic learning, as you've described, right? So that's all about encompassing anything from letting the student choose and decide what their learning plan is going to be with some, you know, support and coaching, Um, and how they're going to access that content and organize their own learning right so they are empowered over their own direction they have the, the power to navigate their learning map their learning journey based on some high quality evidence based materials within the room so Yeah, I love that you've brought that up. We see that crystallizing again through project based learning as a strong practice where students are given a set of options to think through for real world problem to solve. And guess what that does? It really unites social and emotional learning, agentic learning or student empowerment and instructional practice into one like ball, if you will, (laughs) into one sort of approach. So teachers that are really maximizing this moment and some of that flexibility in a hybrid environment are getting some really strong results there.
0: That's exciting. Um, You know, I often think about the people in school buildings like counselors, social workers, psychologists, folks who aren't in the classroom every day, per se, teaching with students how might they contribute? You know, I often use the example of security. Uh, Security on a campus is not just the police officer or the resource officer's responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility. If a door is unlocked, lock it. You know, and and social emotional learning and wellness and this notion of, you know, helping children, especially in this COVID world and post-COVID world, hopefully soon, these Folks in, on campus, these, these sort of social workers, guidance counselors and others, counselors, um, how do they contribute to that and, you know, feel like they're not the only ones who really own that, but help develop the kind of culture on a campus, the kind of things that we want to see? You know, is it a college-going atmosphere that we're trying to create or, or whatever the local community is doing in that space? How might they help?
1: Yeah, so I would put that in the category of coalition building right so building supports or a coalition within a school within a campus to help support social and emotional learning. Under the banner that is right for the Community, so that could be college and career readiness, we see lots of great examples about that on um, portrait of a graduate work at both the state, district, and schoolhouse level. So there's a few different ways to frame that. At the end of the day, um, we really want the um, social workers and the clinicians to do just that, to focus on mental health support, clinical practice at the Tier 2 and Tier 3 level, but to distribute some of those practices at the tier one level so those universal practices so everybody on a school campus is taking part in contributing to the climate and my my handy dandy tip for that is again mindfulness so we have this temptation of thinking about the next three things that we have to do when we're walking down the hall and it's a good practice to be proactive and anticipate the moment and we also need to be present in the moment right? As we're seeing someone who may be displaying some signs of stress, whether that's uh, emotional stress, or maybe there's something in the environment that seems off to your point, the door might be unlocked or open, or there's, there's just something wrong in the environment. Going back to that Vegas nerve, really honoring those instincts, being present in the moment while you're thinking about what those next two, three things are that are coming up down the hallway.
0: Well, It has been an absolute privilege to speak with you more about this. I wanna thank everybody for joining us today on this Inside College Admissions episode. We do hope that you find our discussions helpful and we look forward to continuing that conversation in our part three of three with Dr. Dana Godick.
1: Thank you, Robert. Very much humbled by being here with you today. And I'm wishing everyone the absolute best for a strong start to a new school year.